to finish tonight the series that we've kind of been going over on boundaries. And boundaries are so important. We've talked about just the concept and the understanding and the principle of boundaries. Uh, we have talked about boundaries and us, what we listen to, what we see, what we say. You better put guards around your life so that you don't get sucked into things that are going to ultimately soil your soul. We talked about in the third lesson, we talked uh, and preached that you have to have boundaries around your mind and boundaries around your emotions. It's so very important. Uh, we are living in a day and age in which mental uh Things are happening more and more. And while there are uh, physical reasons for mental illness, if I could use that, and I'm probably not saying it appropriately, and I apologize, but there, there are physical illnesses that manifest themselves in the mind. But I have lived long enough to realize that what so many call mental illness is not mental illness. It is a failure to guard the mind and to guard the soul and to guard what we watch, what we listen to, how we think, how we react, how we cope. And so if you miss that, I encourage you, go to our website, go to the app, and, and you can go back and you can find that message and you can listen to it. Uh, and then we talked about uh, boundaries what was, what was last week? My brain just cut off. Um, yep. Thank you. Boundaries in relationships. The yoke sermon. I should have remembered that. That's why I did the whole yoke so that you would remember it. Uh, I'm glad you all rem remembered. But uh, <laughs> the, the boundaries in relationships, and it was whether it be your friends or who you work with or, or who you're connected to or boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband and wife. And tonight, I want to talk about boundaries in the family. And part one is going to be boundaries in the marriage, and part two is going to be boundaries in parenting. And uh, I've got good notes tonight, so I believe I can stay on task. And if you'll, if you'll catch it, I'm not expecting you to run the aisles, I'm not expecting you to even shout amen, but if you'll just catch it and let God speak to you. And, and if you're sitting in this audience and you say, well, I'm not married, I don't have any children, uh, it's okay. Because these principles, there may be a time in your life when you will have one of those. Or it will be a time in your life when it will help you uh, in, in, in areas elsewhere. But let me preach to you about boundaries in the family. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 28. Uh, verse 28. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28. This is Paul writing and it's one of the most incredible scriptures as it pertains to marriage. So ought men to love the, their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man hath ever hated his own flesh, but nourish it and cherisheth it, it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So Paul is, is walking two roads right now. He is walking a very practical road when it applies to our marriages, and he's walking a spiritual road that says the relationship that God has with this church is like as a marriage. So just understand, he's walking two roads. But this is what he says in verse 33. Nevertheless, let's get back to, to where, it, you know, where we're talking about marriage. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself 
and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And we'll explain that in a moment. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 28. Uh, Paul is talking about things that, that happen. And of course Paul takes a lot of time to make sure that he explains and preaches and teaches that it is important for us to be pure. And this is what he says. If you do marry, you have not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But this is kind of key. As far as we know, Paul was not married. But he did have some good insight. And I'm reading in the New International Version. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Don't look at your spouse. But uh, I think Paul might have been on to something. In marriage, you will face many troubles. And Paul says, I want to spare you. Now, I'm taking that verse a little bit out of context, if you will. Not the trouble part, because I have seen that. And it manifests itself. But I want to be like Paul and say, if you'll let me preach to you and teach to you, perhaps I can spare you from some things. Those key words in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33, love and respect. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, reverence your husband. And those things are very, very different, and, and they are mutual. Um, I, I don't. There's three books. Well, first off, let me do this. Gary Dornbach, I, I read this last week at the end. But he had tweeted something back in 2013 that I've written and I follow. It was by one of our, our pastors and counselors, Robert Kurz. And this is what he had to say. If my wife and kids follow my speech, my actions, and my temperament, etc. as a husband, will they get closer to God or further away? So, so that's, that it ought to be the goal in every one of our lives, no matter what relationship we may have. If it's your spouse, if you're a parent to kids, if you are a family, you know, an extended family, grandparents, if you're a, an uncle or an aunt, if you've got friends at school or at work or your neighbors, that, that applies. Do your actions, if they follow you, will it lead them to God or away from God? That's a powerful thing. And uh, that's what we're talking about. Tonight, I, I'm going to recommend three books. They'll be here on the screen. First one, obviously, the Bible. The Bible is incredible. We preached about it Sunday night. In fact, if you were here and, and, and you had asked for a Bible, I have them. They're right here. And so after church, I will, I will get them. I've already got a post-it note with your name on it. And so if you were here, I've got that Bible for you. That's how much I believe in the Word of God. The second book is amazing. It's called Love and Respect by Emerson uh, Egerichs. And that is where he breaks down that Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33 Men, love your wives, and wives, reverence your husband. If you are married or if you're going to be married, you owe it to yourself to get that book and to read that book. You can buy it on Amazon. You can go get it at the bookstore. It is amazing. It's an easy read, but it's a powerful read. Love and respect. The second uh, book of, of that nature that I'm going to uh, reference, I'm not going to talk about it tonight uh, per se, but His Needs, Her Needs by Willard F. Harley. Can I just tell you something that's probably mind-blowing and you, you should know it, but men and women are very different. Amazing, right? They're very different. And it's not just how we're made. It's not just what's on the outside. It's how we think. It's how we process emotions. It's how we do all of that. And so you owe it to yourself to read a book that, that is powerful that talks about his needs, her needs, and newsflash, my needs are completely different than my wife's needs when it comes to the marriage. And the key to a happy marriage is to 
for, for me to say, I want to meet your needs, and her to, to reciprocate and say, I want to meet your needs, and together it will be a happy marriage. You need to read it. But remember, when it comes to boundaries, boundaries do three things. Let's see if anybody remembers. Does anybody remember what the first one is? Boundaries define. Look at your neighbor and say they define. Okay? Anybody remember what the second one is? Boundaries contain. And the third, boundaries protect. Y'all remember that? They define, they contain, and they protect. When it comes to marriage, the Bible has given us very clear boundaries as to that. Marriage is biblically defined as one man and one wife. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now that is the Old Testament. Moses wrote those words under the uh, the impression and the authority of God and, and as he was moved Moses wrote those words but this is how important those are is that when God became flesh when Jesus Christ walked on this earth he said the exact same thing and this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4 and he answered and said unto them have you not read what does the word say that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female. And said for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh and what therefore God hath joined together let no man put asunder. Let me tag into last Sunday night sermon. God's word has the final say. He created us. He is the ultimate of the creator. And there's nothing that he hasn't created. There's nothing that can say I didn't come from God. And if the creator says it, if the creator makes it clear, who am I, the creation, to say that the one who created us is wrong? Do you understand that? What authority do I have to, to, to march into a... Um, uh, some place where someone has created something, a sculpture or a painting and tell them they did it wrong. We do not have that authority. Jesus, the word, the logos, the, 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 the divine revelation of God. Jesus, the word, came down to earth and he spoke the word. He's not going to change what was written. And so in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible defines one man, one wife, that's marriage. This is what marriage is not. Marriage is not a civil union. It is a God-joined union. And if God has joined it, who am I and who are you as mere mortals to dissolve that union? Now, we're going to talk about that in a minute because I'm, I'm well aware that life is cruel and, and marriage can be cruel. And I'm not trying to... Uh, taint that or, 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 or do it. I, I, just, I just think you have to understand how God designed it. And the clearest thing we can do is, is to do it the way God designs. Boundaries define the marriage. But they also define when a marriage is over. And I don't like talking about this. I hate it. But let me read to you Jesus' words, red letter, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. The Pharisees came to him, tempting him, and said unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? 
Can I tell you that in 2017, that question is still being asked? Can we dissolve a marriage? Can we, can we just go to divorce court and say it's over just because we want to? And Jesus answered and said unto them, and this is what we've already read, Have you not read? And we go back in the beginning. He made them male and female. This call, shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife. They're one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So he goes. See, this is, this is what you need to understand. Just because they're... Just because life throws a curve does not negate what God said in the beginning. So before God answered their question about what if, God reminded them how it should be. Does that make sense? But then, so they came back and it's asked all the time, well then if that's the case, why in Moses' writing, why then did Moses command them command to give a writing of, of divorcement and put her away? They said, we've heard what you've said, Jesus, the definition of marriage. Then why did Moses say we could divorce? Jesus had a wonderful answer. Verse 8, he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Why is divorce here and even in a biblical sense, there is times that divorce uh, is allowed. It's because man is evil. And I don't mean the, 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 the male gender. I'm talking about humanity. But it wasn't supposed to be that way. Much like when God put man and woman in the garden, it should have been perfection. But we messed it up. And it shouldn't have been that. But God steps in. This is what he says. But I, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. And I, I'm, I'm well aware of my time, and I don't, have, uh, I, I don't want to spend my entire sermon on this. So let me just give it to you in a nutshell. And I would welcome a, a private conversation if, if you say, Pastor, I, I want to know more or help me understand this. But I will just tell you that divorce is usually not the issue when it comes to what Jesus is saying. It is the remarriage. He says, whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication, and shall marry another. Here it is. If, if a union, if a marriage is dissolved, and especially if it's dissolved just because you didn't want to do it anymore, or because you were tired of it, if you dissolve the union that God put together, you don't have the authority to go jump into another union. Jesus says the only way I will let a marriage, uh, the only way that you can get into another union is if your spouse has broken the marriage covenant and there has been a, a, an adultery or, or something of that nature or they left you and they go and marry someone else and they said we don't care about the marriage covenant. He says if they do that, then this is the way it should be. And, and, if, and, and, and I don't, like I said, I don't have a lot of time to go, to go through that. But, but if, if you want to talk to me in a, in a private manner, I would welcome uh, you to do so. The point is, God intended marriage to be a forever thing. Those vows that we take should not be taken lightly. 
for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness, for in health, till death do us part. Those are more than just a traditional, you know, nice way to say something. But sin has a way of jumping into a marriage. And, and it, is, it is vital that we conduct our marriages proper. And if another party sins, you got to make sure you didn't join in that. Just because someone else did wrong don't mean we can do wrong. We've got to do it right. And the Bible says that whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. But let's step away from the definitions of marriage. Uh, Let me tell you that, that boundaries contain a marriage. And this is vital. Again, I don't have a lot of time. I've got a lot of notes I've got to go through. But your marriage needs limits to contain it. It is not healthy and it is not good to have a marriage with no limits, a marriage with no boundaries. You can't let it run amok. You need to make sure that there are boundaries of time, that there are boundaries of money, there are boundaries of emotions, there are boundaries of what you do. Guard your marriage. It is vital. It is important. We put boundaries on our marriage not to hem us in, but to protect what is there. It contains that marriage. And the third thing that a boundary does in a marriage is boundaries protect a marriage from outside influences. This is so key. Listen, when you vowed to your spouse or those of you when you vow to your spouse, you are saying it's not just I'll love you forever and I'll like you always and when you get fat and ugly I'll still love you. That's not what the vows mean. All right? I'm giving you redneck version of it. This is what I have come as I pastor and as I have performed the weddings and I, as I have gotten involved in marriages and had to sit on the other side of, of, of counseling sessions in various places and people. And it's people that are even outside of this church. There are a lot of people in our communities that have given me the privilege of speaking into their life even though they've never darkened the doors of this church. But when you vow to your spouse... You are vowing to your spouse that he or she is the only one that will fulfill your life and you vowed to forsake all others. I'm going to hit this a little bit more in a moment. In those boundaries of your relationship, Jesus said it best. It's good for a man and woman. The man needs to leave his family and join with his spouse and make their own family. I love my family. I, 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 I say it in a joking manner, and, and I'm, I, I'm always careful to back it up. I pastor my mom, and I pastor my mother-in-law. I pastor my father, and I pastor my stepfather-in-law. I love my extended family. But a marriage has to stand on its own two feet. And if, if you don't learn to leave mom and dad and be your own family, it's going to cause difficulties later on. Now, I'm glad I can go and eat at their house. I'm glad we can go on vacations. But when I have a crisis or when I have a need, I don't turn to my dad first. I don't turn to my mother-in-law first. My wife and I works it out. That's how it ought to be. Here's another one. I'm giving you just hopefully some just good, simple things. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. 
Guys, you can't expect your wife to do something and then you not do the same thing. It works both ways. Marriage is always a two-way street. And then it's important to have boundaries when, on your emotional energies. Let me explain it this way. In life, you and I are going to expend emotional energies. Okay? At your job... There are a lot of emotions that will play out in your job. There will be days that you are so mad, you're about ready to just throw your computer through your cubicle. There will be days that you are so happy you got a raise. There will be days that you are depressed. There's days that you will be stressed. All of us expend emotional energies in every aspect of our life. When you're on the golf course, you're expending emotional energy. When you're hunting, when you're shopping, when you're crocheting, whatever it is, you're expending emotional energies. Here's the key. Don't spend them all in one place. If you're not careful, and, and, and I will speak more to, to, to men because I understand men more, but I think in this day and age, women can be guilty of this as well. Do not expend all of your emotional energy on your job, and when you get home, you have nothing left for your spouse or your kids. When, when you come home, and your kid, and, and, and Zane is in here, and, and, and we go through this, and, and there's times I come home and I'm tired. Zane gets off the bus and he wants to tell me something. And I catch myself, and Zane, this is a way that I'm apologizing to you. I catch myself saying, hold on, wait a minute, let me just calm down. And I lose that moment with my son because I had expended all of my emotional energy outside the home. As a pastor... As Brandon Buford, Pastor Lighthouse Church, I can expend all of my emotional energy on saints and have nothing left for my own family. And this is why I don't answer every time you call. This is why I take a day off here and there. My weekends are very busy with sermon prep, so I have to be creative. Uh, with, with what we do. Sometimes it's the middle of the week that we go do something fun so I can do that because I have to find ways to invest my emotional energies in my spouse and my there are boundaries of intimacy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter five and chapter seven and verse one through five. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me, single people. Listen to me, married people. Intimacy is not allowed outside of marriage. You cannot start a fire that you can't contain. That's why Paul, he didn't say, don't go, you know, don't go jump in the sack with someone. Don't go have an affair. Paul said, why don't you, here, it's good for a man not to even touch a woman. Because intimacy is not allowed outside of marriage. Paul goes on to say, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, and the, but the husband. Likewise also the husband does not have power of his own body, but the wife. Do not defraud yourself uh, one the other, except it be with the consent of time, that perhaps you could give yourself to prayer and fasting. But come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontency. Listen to me. Intimacy, and I'm being very careful. I know we've got a mixed audience. But intimacy is God-ordained, and it's crucial in the terms of a marriage, but never outside a marriage. If you don't understand that, I want you to come talk to me privately. 
But it is crucial that a marriage have intimacy and outside of the marriage it doesn't. Another boundary in that intimacy is you need to love them in reality, not in fantasy. No affairs. You say, well, yeah, pastor. No, listen to me. No affairs, period. No sexual affairs. No emotional affairs. No physical affairs. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying that, remember, expending all those emotional energies. I have, met, I have met marriages that have fallen apart and not one sexual thing ever happened outside that marriage. But the, the husband and the wife got so separated in their life that, that that lady had to find comfort in just simply talking to other people and have a relationship with another man. It never got sexual, but he fulfilled that desire of a woman to just be wanted. No affairs, period. There's boundaries that need to be in our marriages when it comes to disagreements. Number one, when you come to disagreements, the word divorce ought not even come up. It's just not an option. Because if you start threatening it, you better be willing to go through. And the moment a marriage, and, and, and I again, listen, I realize that I'm giving you tidbits and, 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 and someone's going to say in their mind, but, but pastor, the last disagreement I have is when I caught my spouse cheating. I'm not necessarily talking about that, okay? I'm talking about just normal marriage. I have seen, I have seen with my own eyes, they didn't know I could hear them. I have seen marriages where they started arguing over who was going to do the dishes and in the middle of it they threw out the word divorce. The moment you do that, you have, you have put a chink in the armor of that marriage. And, and when you do so, the person who received that word will forever wonder, is that all it takes to dissolve the marriage? It's, it's just can't be. That's not where you and I will tell you that my wife and I, uh, that we have never allowed it to even be used as a funny threat because it's not funny. This one ought not be, I mean, meaning I shouldn't even have to say it, but when it comes to the disagreements in the marriage, physical abuse is not acceptable. I know I can't preach like this all the time, so I'm going on record just to make it very clear. We don't hit, we don't punch, we don't slap, we don't bring the frying pan out, we don't bring the, the wooden spoons out. It's not acceptable. Men, it's not acceptable. And while I never thought I'd see the day, ladies, it's not acceptable. Allow me to make a little light of it just so that we get some levity, but I've had more women tell me their husbands beat them up than I've had men tell me their wives beat them up, probably because the man's too embarrassed to tell me, but it happens. I've been on enough police calls to see it. But listen to me. Listen to me. In the boundaries of disagreements, you're going to have disagreements. How do I know that? Because Paul said in marriage, you're going to have some trouble. Fight fair. 
And remember, if you will, you're stuck with them. And at the end of that disagreement, I might be hitting a little close to home. (laughs) At the end of that disagreement, everything that happened in that disagreement, y'all still together. And once you start down a road, I forget how the, 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 the saying goes, but there's a saying that says the journey, I think it's the journey of a thousand miles, starts with one step. If you start disagreeing and, and physical abuse, and I would even take that far, it ought not be mental abuse, it ought not be uh, uh, verbal abuse, because once you start down that road, you can never go back. And so it's key that you have boundaries in your disagreements. You have boundaries in your time. How do you budget your time in your marriage? Remember all those emotional energies? A mother, and, 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 and my wife is, is out with Zeke right now, and we've got Zane and Zoe. A mother can for sure expend all of her emotional energies for her children. So, so I have realized that. Now there's some things she can't, she can't stop feeding the kids. She can't stop being a mother to the kids. So I've learned, and, and, and I'm doing a little better. I know I talked about the laundry fairy, but maybe, maybe I can work on that. Learn to pitch in. Need to learn to take some nights off where mom and dad or husband and wife can connect with each other and invest those emotional energies and invest that time in it. You need to have boundaries in your finances. This is something that, that if I'm going to be brutally honest with you all, I can struggle with this. I can't be the one that spends all the money and then tell my wife I don't have, she can't spend any money. It's not fair. It's not right. And I don't care if you're the one that's making the money. It's y'all's because it's a marriage. And then as I, as I end this part, I want to just make this statement. Sometimes those boundaries, and you can see up here we have a fence, sometimes those boundaries have a gate. Gates are crucial. A gate is needed to let something in or let something out as you see fit. For example, when you're young and single, you can spend time with your friends almost every night if you wanted to. But when you get married, you have to have a gate that says, no, I can't spend time with them tonight. I'm I'm married now. But vice versa, sometimes you got to let those friends in and say, yes, I'm married, but I'm going to go spend time. There's times, and, and I'm just using the guys, if you will, there's a time when you need to let your guy buddies in and go on a fishing trip, but there's another time when you need to shut that gate and say, not right now. You can't do that. Learn to use the gate wisely. And there's some gates, if we want to go back to the, the, the intimacy part, there's some gates that you just don't put a gate there. You just block it. You, you do whatever it takes. Boundaries in marriage. Look at someone sitting next to you and say, I'm glad he's off of that. Let me take you to part two, parenting. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Now all of you young people that kind of looked at me funny because I'm talking about marriage and that's gross right now, this is where you need to pay attention because I'm going to be where you live right now. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. New Living Translation. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. and Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from 
the Lord. I want to talk to you for just a little bit about boundaries and parroting. Dr. Daniel Blash, pastor of one of our Pentecostal churches down in the city, and he is a a doctor in the counseling field, in the mental health field, has his own practice as well as pastoring. He tweeted this again back in 2013. And I write, I write some of these things down and I look at them quite often. He said this, Help a teen, look them in the eye, set an absolute standard and don't back down. Scores of them are longing for the safety of standards. Regardless of what the world says and regardless of what young people say, they desire limits and boundaries so they know because boundaries define, contain, and protect. Dr. Blash said it. Let me show you a path, and I, I'm going to be funny just to kind of do it up, and I'm going to warn you these pictures can be graphic and maybe too much for you to handle. But this is what happens if there are no boundaries instituted or enforced when it comes to parenting. Let me just kind of show you a few things. This is what happens. Just keep them scrolling about every two minutes or two seconds or so. This is what happens when there's... There's no boundaries. You, you paint the living room with your hands. You, you pull out all the eggs in the, in, the, in the thing. You get all the shaving cream and foam and, and move parents. And, uh, he, she's holding a dead duck. I'm not sure where she got it. That one just is disgusting. Sometimes you just paint your whole body Spider-Man with permanent marker. That one's a bad one. Some of you adults have had that look before. Not that one, the other one. I'm glad she's helping her brother, but not in the dumpster. This is what happens when you don't give your kids boundaries. And this is my favorite. He's a little wet underneath that, but no boundaries. <laughs> he was trying to get to the cookie jar. And Felt. There needs to be boundaries in parenting. In parenting, tonight I want to do a couple things. Again, I'm going to give you just a few sound uh, 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 biblical principles to guide your family. I'm going to give you some practical advice, and, and I believe that I am capable of doing that. First off, I've been parented. I've had parents, and I will tell you now that I've had incredible parents. My mom and dad. I know I love to pickle my mom, but, but, but let me break character for at least one service and tell you that I am one of the most blessed people in the entire world because of my parents. But I will tell you they didn't always do things right. And so because of that, sometimes it's what I've seen that I want to do. Sometimes I've seen what I don't want to do. It's a learning experience. I've been a parent now for 14 years. And I started all over again. I'm hoping maybe Buford Baby 2.0, I can try a little better and maybe, maybe I'll get this one perfect. I don't know. I've been a youth pastor. Now I've been pastoring. I have studied. I have learned things from others' observations. And I'm glad our young people are up here. Because I want them to hear it. I want it to be said. Let me say it again on record. I support the parents of the Lighthouse Church. 
and and while I want my parent, while I want the parents, that's you, I want the parents to back up what the church teaches at the home. I want to back up what the parents are teaching at the home at the church. I don't want your kids coming to me and, and, and me giving them an out when you've talked to them. I want to support you as parents. And I want our young people, I want our children to realize the importance of honoring and obeying our parents because the Old Testament Levitical law said this, if a man have a rebellious, stubborn son who won't obey the voice of the father, the voice of his mother, and when they've chastened him, when they've disciplined him, he's not going to listen, then his father and mother shall lay hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city in the gate and they will say to the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious, he won't obey our voice, he's a glutton and a drunkard, and all of the city, all the men of the city shall stone him with stones and he shall die. Any of you parents ever had that desire? If we were an Old Testament church, every Saturday we'd have a stoning, just bring all them kids that disobeyed you and we're going to knock them out. I'm glad we don't live under that anymore. But again, what do boundaries do? They define. It defines. Let me, let me tell you this. A, a child, a teenager with no boundaries placed on their life, with no rules, with no regulations, with no standards, a, a child without boundaries is a child without definition. It is a child that has no depth. It is a child that has no character. And quite possibly it is a child that has no future. It is vitally important. And all you have to do is get on the news and look around. And we are living in a society today where we are now reaping the, 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 we're reaping the rewards. And I mean that in a negative sense. We're reaping the rewards of children that were raised with no boundaries. Boundaries contain. Just as the womb contains a developing child until that child is able to take a breath on its own. God ordained the, the woman, God ordained that womb to hold that incredibly in intricate and yet very fragile young you know, a, a, a fetus and, and, and live human being and it incubates for nine months in that womb until it is ready to take its breath just like that. Boundaries contain a child and a parent must do its very best to contain that child until that child is able to make godly decisions. And boundaries protect. I have heard parents tell me, not here of course, I've heard parents literally look at me and say, I don't want to stunt my child's development by hemming him in. I don't want to squash my child's creativity by putting boundaries on his life. Those same parents, because I was the youth pastor, those same parents had dogs that they would never allow to roam the neighborhood. I, I'm, I, every once in a while I get very passionate. But if that's you, you're stupid. Because if, if you're going to put your dog behind a fence and if your dog comes out, you're going to put him on a leash and not that I'm advocating microchipping humans, but you go and microchip your dog so in case it gets lost, they can find it. If you're going to do that for a stupid dog, why not do it for the child that you birthed and you loved and put some boundaries that protect and contain and define? Your children are much more precious than your dog. I, I don't have time, I'm, I'm running out of time, but I would encourage every 
person here, go jump in the book of Proverbs. And, and, and I'm going to hit them very, very quickly. Proverbs chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 8, about three or four times, it says, My child, listen when your father corrects you. My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. My child, don't go with them. There is a biblical mandate that parents need to parent their children. It goes in Proverbs chapter 6. There was a dad that said this, My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always around your heart and tie them around your neck. Proverbs is filled with, with parenting advice. Proverbs is filled with people that, that are, are, are rather principles that it is our duty to instruct our children and to lead our children and guide our children and be an example to our children. There is consequences when there is a lack or there are no parental boundaries. I know it's Old Testament, but it works. Deuteronomy 27 says, Cursed is anyone who dishonors father and mother. Proverbs 30 gave us an insight into where we're living right now, and it was there then. Some people curse their father and don't thank their mother. They're pure in their own eyes, but they're filthy and unwashed. Proverbs chapter 30 says, it goes on further, it says, the eye that mocks the father, the eye that despises a mother's instructions will be plucked out by the ravens of the valley. And eaten by vultures. It's crucial that we teach our children. Now I'm going to go somewhere in just a moment. But uh, I, I write these things and I, I, I write my notes and I type them up. And then I, I spend time and I marinate on them. And sometimes you can, you can look at my notes. I got handwritten things all in it because it happens. But last week... There was something that, that just came to my mind and I, I texted myself, I emailed myself, I put it in my notepad. I wanted to make sure I remembered it, Brother Cozart. And, and I've got, I mean, I could spend another hour going on boundaries that, that parents need and children need, but let me just hit one. And, and there's others I'll get to in a moment, but let me just put one that, that I felt like Lord just put in there. And that is, parents, grandparents, if you have any authority or leadership of anybody, you need to put boundaries on what your children hear from you. I'm so blessed because obviously as I grew older and, and as you, you know, I, I became more mature, I could have conversations with my mom and dad and we could get deep. But can I tell you that as a child, they insulated me from things. I never knew that there was a period of time in our life that we didn't have hardly any money and sometimes hardly any food. I thought we were rich. I can tell you today, I have never heard my parents sit around the table and badmouth a pastor or badmouth another saint in the church or even badmouth someone. Now, we've had discussions and sometimes they had to tell us somebody did something wrong, and, but they were careful. Listen to me, parents. You need to be careful your conversations, because your children are hearing them. And it happens in this church. Because I've listened to kids in this church. Let me, let me give, for, well, my wife and I were in a district somewhere far away. And, and it was a district that had a lot of, of, of infighting in that, in that district. And, and there was a lot of, of 
church splits that had happened, and it was a very contentious district. And we were doing their kids' camp. And there were two kids playing. They were about eight years old. They were, they were playing on the playground, and we were sitting around talking, and, and they had no idea we were even listening. And one of those little kids, they had been playing for about an hour. One of those kids said, hey, what church do you go to? That other little eight-year-old said, I go to this church, pastored by this man. And that other boy got up and said, I can't play with you anymore. My mommy and daddy says they don't like that pastor, and I can't talk to anybody from that church. How did they know that? Because around the table were things being said that ought not be said. Now that should never be said. Around the table. Off. But there are times in life where there is a conversation that needs to go. I know you want to train your kids, but our children don't need to hear everything that we go through. You're not helping them grow up. You're not making them stronger. You're, 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 you're hurting them. And I'm just going to tell you as pastor, I've heard too many of our children and our young people say things I know they heard their parents say and they're not right. And I'm imploring you parents, slander and gossip and backbiting is not what your children need to be pulled in, much less you do that. Guard what your children hear from you. Even so much as sometimes you need to not talk about the news when your children are around. They don't need to know every horrible thing that life has to offer. Put boundaries. I want to leave you with these. I read an incredible article that I have kept. It's by Ben Reed, and I'm going to go through these really quick. I'll give you a little bit of, of commentary that I, that I put to it. But... Ben Reed said, these are nine ways not to parent your kids. Look at your neighbor and say, pastor's going to be sarcastic for a minute. All right, just listen. Number nine, this, 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 we're going to go down the list. This is what you ought not do. Don't count to three. Timmy, not that Timmy, but Timmy, listen to daddy. I'm going to count to three. One. Two, two and a quarter, two and a half. When you, if as a parent, you don't, what you're teaching your child when you do that is you are teaching that child that you don't expect obedience the first time you give something. And because of that, what you are doing is you are literally giving your child a chance to disobey you a little while longer. Don't do that. And, and, and Ben Reed wrote this statement, and man, it just it's there. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That's not Brandon, that's Ben Reed. Listen to that. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Young people, delayed obedience is disobedience. Number eight. Don't always let them decide. I know they're children and they want to decide what's best for them. You know, let's eat a candy bar before bed, sure. Oh, you don't want to go there for dinner? All right, let's cater to you. You want to stay up because you don't like your bed? Sure. Thanks for letting me know. You're so smart. You're so wise. I wish I'd have been that smart when I was four. Listen, parents, children need your wisdom. 
You were the parent, not them. And, and here's the key. As a parent, you were God called to be an authority in their life. God put you in that position to lead them and guide them. And while sometimes it's nice to say, where do you want to go out to eat? You will ask my children, they will tell you, we don't always go where they want to go. Because sometimes parents, many times parents, you need to be the parent and do it. Now, number seven, don't let your world revolve around them. There are far too many people and, and parents who get in so many of these activities because they, they want their child to be in this and that and, and you're always doing something and, and, and we, even when you have an off season, you fill it up with something else. And so I talk to parents, and, and I'm glad for some of the things I do, but I talk to parents who spend every waking moment of their life when they're not at work or sleeping Carting, carting their kids off to this and that, and, and it's just filling time. But here's the key. If you let them, children will make your life revolve around theirs, and it's not healthy. A parent, you need to find balance in doing stuff and just being a family. It's not all about them. Because what happens is when they become no longer in, you know, when, when they leave that family, the world smacks them in the face when the world says it's not all about you. Number six, don't have a discipline plan. Ben Reed said don't plan for discipline, that's no fun. Just figure out in the moment what you're always going to do. That way when you're really, really angry, you'll just have to do something there. Discipline should not always be an in-the-moment thing. Because if you're always disciplining in the moment, you'll end up disciplining in a way you'll regret later. See, the Bible in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, talks about the way that God disciplines us. And the way that God disciplines us is it's loving. Because God had a plan of how he was going to deal with us. And so you need to think about it. And you need to get with your spouse. And, and you need to have the same plan. That if this happens, this is what we're going to do. Number five. You want to get me riled up. Here you go. Don't make them. All right, I think somehow, somehow this got out of order. Uh, let's do that one. Uh, so this is actually number four in my way, but we'll make it number five. Don't ever play. You're the parent. They're the child. Don't get on the ground and play with them. Don't show them your weakness. Don't have fun. But I like what Ben Reed says with this. He says, if you don't play with your child, you rob them of a beautiful gift and you paint a picture of a boring God to them. Sometimes you need to let the kid wrestle with you. Sometimes you need to get on their level and grab a Tonka truck or a Barbie doll and let them see a father that reaches down into the lives of their children because one day they're going to be looking for a heavenly father that's willing to reach his life in his hand down into their lives and make a difference. Have fun with them. All right, what's the next one now that I got them all mixed up? All right, when you don't know what to do, let Google be your guide. <laughs> Not sure what to do? Google it. There's so much great information on the Internet. Just do whatever they say. It will be awesome. Careful what you read on the internet. Not always true. Can I tell you a great way to parent? 
find some parents, preferably two or three families, and, and, and older than you, that have kids that are older than your kids, and allow, ask them to speak into your life. Surround yourself with people wiser than you and, and, and gain wisdom and experience. Read the Bible. That's a novel concept. Talk to your, your pastor. Talk to, to others that have been there and done that. Find parents, if you will, that have been successful. Ask them, what did you do? Because chances are they'll tell you, I did some things wrong. Because there's no perfect parents here. Don't just try to do whatever you see on the internet and what the latest parenting fad is. Go to the next one. As long as they're not bothering me. So what that they're watching something a little inappropriate for their age? So what that they're playing with something that they shouldn't? So what that they spend too long on Facebook? Well, at least they were out of your hair for a couple of hours. We've seen this, and now we're reaping the horrors of it. I will say what Ben Reed says, Do not disengage. Know what is influencing your child. Set those boundaries and sticks to them. I read in, uh, uh, just, and I don't even remember where today I read it. I'll have to go back and look through things. But I read an article today that, that said that right now, that they've done these in, incredibly huge studies. Okay, In these studies, they have found that teenagers today are, having, are being less promiscuous, less children out of wedlock, less you know teen pregnancies, less drop out of school. And you would say, hallelujah, it's turning around. But here's the problem. They, they begin to research. Those things have gotten better. But because of social media and media, what is happening now is no, our children aren't having babies, but they're killing themselves in suicide. Our children aren't, you know, doing as much drugs as they used to do, perhaps. But, but now they're, they're taking a lot of legal drugs for all of these mental things. And they, they are showing it that it's set because of, of the media and the Facebook and the social media. And I'm telling you, the media shapes our children's minds in a powerful way. Don't disengage. Know what they're doing. Know what they're at. Know where they are. Don't just stick Barney on there so you can get a couple minutes of sleep. Guard that time. Next one. Always be firm and heavy-handed. This is one of them sarcastic things. Don't let up on your kids. Because if you do, they'll get out of hand. No grace and no mercy. While this may be a little counterintuitive of what I've said earlier about boundaries, I'd like to tell you today it's imperative that there are moments that you model for your children what the grace of God looks like. Sometimes, even when they've disobeyed, you show them grace and you explain the radical grace of God to them. Ephesians tells us that we ought not exasperate our children. There's a time and place to be firm. There's a time and place to make sure that, that, that you keep those boundaries. But every once in a while, you need to make sure they see grace. And the last one, now I remember why these got messed up and I never changed it. Don't make your kids go to church. Some would say, what kind of parent would you be if you forced your child to go to church? 
I will tell you today that you have been called to shape the way your children grow and mature. Set corporate worship. Set healthy relationships. And set it as a weekly standard because you need to. Not because you feel like it. Not because you wake up every Sunday jumping out of bed going, woo, church is there. Because guess what? Pastor don't even do that. You do what's best for you and your family, not what feels right at the time. I've been blunt so far. Let me do it again. Nothing should keep your family from church ever except perhaps a sickness or maybe a vacation. But that vacation don't need to be a permanent vacation. See, here's the thing about parenting. You're setting them up for the future. If as a parent church is not a priority and you say well I'm not going to let my kid come to church they had a ball game or I don't think my kid needs to come to church because they've got this school activity or they don't need to come to church they've got karate lessons you're setting them up and what you're saying is church is not a priority and if church is not a priority when they live in your home do you think it's going to be a priority when they leave your home one of the, the, the hardest things as a pastor because my, my mean streak wants to rise and I can't let it and I have to push it down. I do have a very sarcastic bone in my body but I have, through God, repressed it way down because I want you to keep coming to church. <laughs> I've learned that I can't do what I want to say all the time. But when I have a parent come to me and the child is... 16, 17 years old and has literally fallen off the deep end and, and they're losing their ever-loving mind and, and drugs are involved or, or dangerous situations are involved and they say, what? What's going on? Save my child. I want to scream. I could have if you'd have brought him to church. Youth service is vitally important. Our young people have, or rather our youth department, our Excel Student Ministries under Brother and Sister Lowe and the rest of their team, they've made it an effort this year. We have a youth service on Tuesday night, and I'm going to tell you that youth service for your young person needs to be one of the most important things in that child's life. But if they go to youth service, they can't take karate, who cares? Take them. Bring them be there parents put a fence around your children they need those boundaries they need to know the definitions they need to know the containment they need to be protected let me give you some examples my children and, and mainly Zane because Zoe doesn't have a phone my children know we don't do late night texting and calls Zane knows if I walk in and he's on his phone at night, especially when he's supposed to be in bed, the phone comes with me. He's charging it right there. We have very public, you know, we, we go in, there, there's... I want to know where my kids are. I want to know what they're doing. I want to know who they're with. Nowadays, you got to get on their Facebook. you got to get into their emails. you got to get into their texts and their phone logs. Passwords. While, while, while I'm okay with Zane's phone having a password because I don't want someone at school getting a hold of it and doing something stupid, but I know that password. My wife knows that password. Even Zoe knows that password. 
Passwords don't exist in my house in that sense because I don't, I'm not going to get locked out of my children's lives. Because when I get locked out of my children's lives, something else has access to them. I had a dog. I know I've talked a lot about dogs, but the first dog that I remember was a beautiful American husky white dog husky smaller than a Siberian husky gorgeous dog by the name of Reuben was there at Texas Bible College I had to be three or four years old it's those vague memories in your mind of playing with that dog that I have and I don't remember this my parents told me probably because they didn't want me to be traumatized for the rest of my life there was another dog on campus that was bigger and had the ability to open the gate with his nose You you know lift up that chain link fence or chain link thing and that old dog came over to our backyard and opened up that fence and let Reuben out. And Reuben got hit by a car. That's what happens when you let somebody else get access to your children. Not that they're going to get hit by a car, but I, that dog, yeah, it was special to me, but it's not as important as the kids. I, I'm guessing that later on when my parents got more dogs, they kind of put some locks or some wires or something so other dogs couldn't come because it's important my cousin Royce had a beagle he was a good, good rabbit dog Brother Bob, I mean a phenomenal rabbit dog one day Royce called me he said, uh, Brandon you want to buy a, a dog? or he said, I'll give you one I said, really? your beagle had pups? I was kind of excited he goes, yeah But it ain't another beagle. He said his stupid mutt got into our yard and bred with the dog. And now I'm stuck with 14 mutts that aren't good for anything. Can I just tell you today, as, as brutally honest as I can be, if you don't put boundaries around your children, they're going to die. They're going to breed with some mutt. Or they're going to take off running never to return. And if we care that much about the dogs that we have, we need to care even more about our children. And I know that I've spent a lot of time talking to our young people here today, but I'm really not even... If I'm going to start working on Zane right now at age 14, I'm already behind the eight ball. If I'm trying to, 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 to all of a sudden change everything and raise Zoe at age 10, I'm behind the eight ball. It starts with that little one-month-old that my wife is holding named Zeke. It starts there. It starts by teaching them and guiding them. I don't want to have a pastoral, pastoral conversation six or seven or ten years where someone tells me how far your teenager is stray because I will ask you, did you set boundaries and did you guard those boundaries and as we stand today I will leave you with one more pastoral comment and that is this and it applies there are several different ways I've danced all around this but I cannot pastor your child if you don't lift up the pastoral ministry in your home It's hard to speak into a teen's life when the parents have spent so much time tearing down the shepherd.
I want us just to close our eyes. Somewhere in the midst of this, I believe there are those that God has spoken to. And I want you just to let him speak to you right now. Father, we love you.